I live in the United Kingdom, a very mild country in many aspects. It is by no means one of the coldest countries, nor is it one of the hottest. The British are in a part of the world where storms never cause too much damage, where critters cause no real pain, where wild animals are tame and small in stature. If you are to talk to any Brit about the weather, the responses you would get would create the vision of a rainforest-like downpour on a daily basis. Although the little island of the United Kingdom, just off the coast of mainland Europe, is a very quiet, safe place to be overall. So one can only imagine the British public's surprise when stories began to hit the headlines of the papers, describing the sightings of giant cats roaming the English countryside. I'm Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is the Beast of Bodmin Moor. It isn't unheard of to witness the cute, fluffy grey squirrels that seem to live amongst every tree in England. But what you may not know is that here, these creatures are legally considered to be an invasive species. The British squirrel actually had brown fur and was much fluffier than its grey cousin. It was in the 1800s that the greys were introduced to the countryside of Britain, back before our modern understanding of the changes in our ecosystems. The grey squirrel carried a disease that did not seem to affect their health, although would prove itself as fatal amongst our native red squirrels. This, mixed with the fact that the grey squirrels are far more likely to eat green acorns, meant that they would decimate much of the food source before they could ripen to a point that the reds could make use of them. The result of this is that I could walk 20 feet from my home right now and witness a grey squirrel, and yet in my entire life I have never seen a red squirrel with my own two eyes. It was in the medieval times that rabbits were brought to the shores of the UK from Spain and France, quickly adapting to become part of our ecosystem. And even now, there are some reports of Asian hornets finding their way into our countryside, inadvertently causing potential havoc in our delicate food chain. It wasn't until as recent as 1976 that the Dangerous Wild Animals Act came into law, limiting private individuals in keeping exotic animals, ensuring that if they were to do so, they would do with a license and in a circumstance that would create no risk to the public or to the animal itself. That said, there of course will always be those that manage to sneak illegal imports onto our shores for whatever reason they deem necessary. It is also somewhat inevitable that on occasions, these animals will escape and join our countryside. In fact, this has happened on more than one occasion, and once they're out there, if they're not caught, they can either join our ecosystem die amongst it, or destroy it. In my telling of a fictionalised event on the Bodmin Moors, we will follow Arthur as he takes his border collie for a walk across the moors on a Sunday afternoon. The skies were grey over the moors of Bodmin that Sunday evening, The air was still damp from a day of drizzle, yet the rain had finally subsided. The cold of November was here, with each passing day seemingly more bitter than the previous. Arthur made sure to wrap himself up warm, feeling the chill far more than he would have done in his more youthful days. Walking up the moor with his border collie, his wife had named Winslow before her passing a few years prior to cancer. The weekend had been good. He had spent it with his grandchildren, who had filled his days with excitement and joy during their short stay. 
By the time they left that morning, he was filled with mixed feelings, partly happy to have some peace and quiet, mostly saddened that the silence would return once again. Perhaps this was why he had taken Winslow out for a walk on such a grey, dark late afternoon. Perhaps he was avoiding that quiet for a little bit longer. The moors were large, and at times he could walk for long periods before any sign of another human would appear. But today seemed to be especially empty. It wasn't warm, nor was it dry, not to mention the fact that it was a Sunday. He imagined that, instead, much of the dog walkers and hikers he would normally find out in this vast landscape were instead at home, watching television by the fire after a large roast dinner. Arthur unhooked the lead from Winslow's collar, allowing him to rush off, stopping every few feet to sniff the ground, studying all the wildlife that had passed by with his snout. Arthur smiled at his furry friend before taking a deep breath, looking out onto the beautiful landscape of the moors around him. He studied the yellows, golds and greens that seemed to spread for miles over the bumpy fields ahead. He studied the rocks and mounds that had formed over thousands of years amongst the ground. So much of the country had become urbanised over the years, with supermarkets, shops, car parks and housing estates spreading on what seemed to be every bit of land available. And so he felt lucky to be able to stand amongst such a widespread view of nature to be able to disappear from people everywhere and just be alone with the natural world. He sighed to himself, spotting the darkening of the sky in the distance. All right, boy, time to go, he called, turning his head to Winslow's direction, just spotting his tail as he disappeared behind a small mound of rocks ahead. He called out to him again, this time more commanding to ensure his return. But strangely, he did not come. Arthur paused for a minute, confused by this. Winslow was very well trained with his recall, and it was extremely unlike him to ignore his owner's beckoning. Arthur called again, now pacing forward towards the mound of rocks to find him, frustrated by every slip on the wet grass and moss-covered rocks below his feet. He finally arrived at the mound, calling out one last time before turning the corner, now with an added sigh as he asked Winslow what he was playing at. But before he could finish his sentence, he paused, noticing the carcass of a deer laying flat on the ground with Winslow pacing around it, sniffing it curiously. Arthur dove forward, grabbing Winslow by the collar and pulling him away while studying the body that rested there. There was no doubt that this deer did not die of natural causes. Its throat had been bitten into and ripped open, with large gaping holes in its neck and torso. It looked as if it had been attacked by an animal of sorts, although the wound seemed to be far too deep and far too large to be that of a fox. Arthur hooked Winslow's lead to his collar and gripped it tightly around his fist to ensure he couldn't pull away. He'd never seen him act so strangely. He was so on edge, so distracted by whatever it was he could smell. Arthur studied the carcass further with curious eyes. It was clear that this kill was very fresh, and that whatever had done it couldn't be too far away. He wondered if it could have perhaps been a large dog, although it would have had to have been very big and very fast. He turned his head to look into the distance, wondering if he could see any anxious dog walkers with a blood-soaked large breed scurrying home, but there was nothing. No sign of any life out in this open-planned corner of the country. But before Arthur could think for much longer, Winslow's tone had changed once again. His fur had begun to rise from its skin, his hind legs digging into the ground beside them as his teeth began to show, emitting a deep, threatening snarl into the rocks. Arthur wanted to turn and ask him what was going on, but before the thought could even enter his mouth, all of his previous questions had been answered in an instant opening up his mind to far more in the future. He looked up to see that on the top of the mound of rocks were the large paws of a black panther edging to the side, slowly revealing its wide, thick head above its intimidating muscular body. 
Although Winslow was growling and snarling at the beast's blade-like fingernails and dagger-like fangs, its eyes did not move away from Arthur. Perhaps it understood him to be an easier target. Perhaps it was that he was closer to the beast, or perhaps it simply didn't like him. No matter the reason, it didn't look as if it was ready for play. Arthur, in his shock, remained still, unsure on what to do. If he was to turn and run, the beast would surely chase after him. At least by staying still, it was remaining staring him down, gleaming at him with its large, marble-like yellow eyes. Winslow pulled forward. This in turn pulled Arthur forward too, causing the beast to grip the rocks below its claws, ready to pounce at him. In the fear this created, Arthur opened his hand, letting go of the lead, allowing Winslow to charge forward, disappearing around the rocks as he attempted to get up there to attack the large creature above. The beast was momentarily distracted, its eyes finally unlocking from Arthur's to see where Winslow had gotten to. Arthur knew that this was his moment to get away. He turned as fast as he could, stumbling over the grass as he headed further into the moors, the only place he could get to at this stage. He'd only made it a few feet before the cat jumped from the rocks, ready to charge at him and rip away at his flesh. But the moment the thud of his paws echoed through the ground, Winslow appeared around the rocks, charging at the beast with full force. Arthur knew his poor dog was not going to be able to win this fight, but he appreciated the effort he was putting into protecting his elderly owner as the Beast of Bodmin and Arthur's very best friend began to scrap beside the rocks. Arthur could hear the yelps and growls coming from both animals as he charged as fast as he could, refusing to look back, partly so he did not slow down, partly because he didn't want to see his friend die so violently. Finally, Arthur arrived at a large rock formation that wasn't too far away. Inside, the rocks had formed a somewhat cave-looking structure, very small and not very deep, but enough to give him a good chance to hide. He quickly dove inside, slamming himself to the ground, pushing his body up against the wall as hard as he could, desperately wishing to become as small as possible in the shadow of the rock formation. He sat there, his frail hands trembling, his eyes filling with tears as he listened to his friend's final moments, still putting up a good fight against the beast that resided so close behind. With a whimper, and a gentle, sudden cry. Winslow's growls had abruptly stopped. Arthur was now alone on the moors, hiding in wait, hunted by the black, shadowy creature that strolled through the moors behind him. He could now hear nothing but the gentle whistle of the wind against the long grass, peering through the small gaps in the rocks that surrounded him. He was tired by life, worn down from the weekend, exhausted from the walk, drained by the sudden attack. He was too tired to feel fear, too numb to mourn the loss of his friend, but his instincts remained, keeping him quiet and hidden from the dark hunter. He kept his eyes on the opening of the small mound he was inside, whilst placing his hand on the floor beside him, grabbing a large rock, the sharpest and most deadly one he could find. He placed it in his lap, his hand gripping it tightly. It was cold and bitter to the touch, but he would not let it go, sitting there in the shadow, closing his eyes to rest. As far as Arthur understood it, he had near enough blinked, resting his eyes for a few moments before opening them again. But, judging by the darkness that had seemingly appeared in the sky outside, he must have slept for at least half an hour. His body was now numb, his fingers stiff as he struggled to clench a fist. He could see the condensation of his breath in the air with every deep exhale. The rock in his lap seemed no warmer by his body heat, now sitting like a hard block of ice on his legs. As if all of his reflexes and thoughts had been slowed down by the cold, he had only just realised that he must have been woken by what he could hear on the other side of the rocks, something slowly crawling across the grass. 
He grabbed the rock in his hand, holding it tightly as his breath left his body. It was drawing closer, sniffing the ground as if it was trying to smell him out, hunting his location. He looked out onto the moors through the gap in the rocks, watching the long grass sway in the wind under the glow of the moonlight above, through the sky that had now almost entirely cleared. He slowly raised his hand, the rock gripped between his fingers. He knew that the moment it came in, he would need to swing down upon its head to fight. His chances of winning or surviving this hunt were slim to none. He knew this, of course, but it was worth a go. And so he waited, listening carefully as the footsteps grew closer to the opening, until he finally saw it. To his surprise, he did not see the shadowy beast's eyes emerge from around the rocks. Instead, he saw the pained, sad eyes of Winslow, who was searching for his owner with an overpowering limp. Arthur instantly dropped the rock to the ground, his eyes filling with tears as he crawled forward, gently guiding his friend into the safety of the small cave. He placed him on his lap, laying him down whilst holding him tightly, stroking his gentle fur on the top of his head. Arthur could just about make out the thick liquid that covered Winslow's body, showing as black under the blue shades of the moon above. He could see that there was no way his little friend was going to survive, and as he looked down at Winslow's face, laying with his eyes closed, he couldn't help but feel that they both knew he was going to die, as if he wanted to go with his friend, getting some last-minute pets for being such a good boy. Arthur stroked down his head and body, ensuring to miss out the gaping holes in his side from the beast's claws and teeth. His hand was covered in blood, but he didn't care. He wanted his friend to be as comfortable as possible. And so they sat there together, Arthur whispering, Good boy, on repeat as Winslow's little heart slowed down to a pause until he was gone. Arthur remained still, sitting in the shadow of the small cave in the middle of a large moor, miles from the nearest person, hours from the next dog walker. Even if the beast did not find him, it would seem that the cold of the night would. This much he knew. Unfortunately, This didn't seem to ever be an option, as Arthur wiped the tears that had already turned cold in his cheeks and looked out onto the shadowy moor once again, he was greeted by two large, yellow eyes staring at him from the darkness ahead. Slowly, he watched as the beast emerged in the moonlight, edging towards him with a hunger in its eyes. Arthur slowly placed Winslow on the floor and grabbed the rock beside him. He could feel his body's pain, and although the cold was hard to ignore, he knew he was going to fight. Just like Winslow had done before his end. Just as his wife had done before hers. Over the next few weeks, Arthur's family and those of the village had searched the moors for long periods of time, with most assuming he had fallen or somehow gotten lost in the cold winter air. But during these weeks, no sign was ever found of him or his dog. There were rumours that perhaps the beast of Bodmin Moor had gotten him, although this was always said of a slight pinch of salt. To most, it was just another missing person's case that would remain unsolved forevermore. No bodies ever to be found, not of them, or the mysterious creature that lurked amongst the moors of Bodmin. Alright, I think I hacked in. We're on the air? Shh, security's outside. But how's my hair? It's a radio station. Psst, psst. You guys hear about the Beyond the Shadows podcast with Ryan and Scott? You guys into paranormal? What about true crime? 
How about UFOs and cryptids? We also have mad hauntings. We got security. No, we don't. We're not big enough to need it yet. No, we got security. Hey, what are you guys doing? Get out of here. Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond the Shadows. The urban legend of big cats amongst the greenlands of the United Kingdom have been part of our culture for longer than I believe most of us would imagine or expect, with a large amount of people believing it to be true. The existence of British big cats have even been made into an acronym under the title of ABCs, standing for Alien Big Cats or Anomalous Big Cats. Since as far back as the 1760s, when the radical William Cobbett claimed to see a large cat at Waverley Abbey near Farnborough as a small boy, the sightings of invasive cats have been well documented across our culture. It seems that one of the main reasons that the urban legend of the big cats roaming our countryside has remained such a mainstay in British culture is due to the mystery that accompanies them. Not only is there the question of their existence to begin with, but there is also the question of how they arrived in Britain. Had they been released on purpose? Had they escaped? Were they a government cover-up to avoid panic? Some have even pondered if these cats are more phantom-like beings, living amongst us from the realms of another plane. Others have wondered if they are more native than we understand them to be, living with us always, quietly in the shadow since the days our little island broke away from mainland Europe all those thousands of years ago. The existence of these beasts on the island are not simply regarded as the jabberings of a madman at the end of a bar in a country pub. In some instances, scientists have taken the claims very seriously indeed and conducted legitimate studies in an attempt to understand where all of these sightings may have come from. Scientists have both studied much of the photographs and supposed evidence that have been brought forward, as well as implementing forensic techniques such as toothpit analysis on kills to find a clearer answer, studying the remains of prey in the hopes of finding clues to the identity of the predator who had killed them by looking at the marks made whilst feeding. In one particular case, scientists had in fact concluded that the perpetrator of the livestock deaths in West Wales was a medium-sized cat, which, although it's not the size of a panther or a puma, is considerably larger than a domestic cat. This is, of course, compelling, although it seems to remain as the most conclusive evidence so far of their existence. Almost every newspaper publication in the country has ran at least one story of the beasts amongst us, with sightings spreading up and down the kingdom with great confidence. The tabloid newspaper The Sun even ran a story as recent as August 2021 about a supposed sighting. That said, a consistent theme amongst these sightings is that they are more often than not hoaxes or mistakes. My favourite misunderstanding in regards to these creatures came in Hampshire in the year 2011, where a white tiger was found to be relaxing in a field. The sighting of what would later be known as the Hampshire Tiger resulted in a police force coming together, with experts at hand, with tranquilizer darts, locked, loaded and ready to go. Brilliantly, this white tiger would eventually be revealed as a life-size stuffed toy that had been left in a field outside. 
That being said, in 1903, a Canadian lynx was found and shot dead in Newton Abbott amongst Devon, with recent studies on this carcass showing that this animal had been living amongst the wild for some time. Although for just how long, we will never know. In 1980, a puma was caught amongst the wilderness of Inverness in Scotland. She was by this point growing old and seemed somewhat tame for a wild animal. This led investigators to come to the conclusion that this puma, given the name Felicity, was most likely a pet before her eventual release or escape. Nobody knows where Felicity came from or how she got there, with some citing her story as evidence that alien cats have made their way to our wildlife, whilst others see this as a simple staged event. Either way, Felicity was taken to the Highland Wildlife Park, where she became a minor celebrity amongst locals and tourists alike. When Felicity eventually died in 1985, she was made into taxidermy and can still be seen to this day in the Inverness Museum and Art Gallery. It may seem unlikely that such creatures would survive in our wild. We may not be too cold of a country, but we are by no means the lands that these animals evolved to live amongst. That said, it would only take one pregnant female or a mating couple to establish some form of population. It is undeniable that some would have released these big cats into the wild, and it isn't necessarily unlikely that some of these released would survive. That being said, for two to find each other and begin to breed is where the unlikeliness of this narrative comes into play. It has been alleged by some that Mary Chipperfield of the famous Chipperfield Circus had released three pumas, including a breeding pair, onto Dartmoor when her zoo closed down back in 1978. Although, it is also worth noting that her family has strenuously denied these claims. A big problem the believers of the beasts among us have in convincing those more skeptical of their existence is that the vast majority of evidence is limited to eyewitness testimony. There are reports of large cats in the United Kingdom at a significantly high number, suggesting that something seems to be going on here. Although, we must surely wonder how there has been no true evidence of these creatures in our countryside yet. We are a small island after all. It may seem strange that such a large amount of people have witnessed these beasts, although there were also many sightings of spring Hill Jack in the 1800s as covered in season 1 of Urban Legends, and yet I do not believe a fire-breathing demon man was haunting the Victorian streets of London. That statement is not to demonise or belittle any belief. I remain curiously sceptical of this particular urban legend, finding myself both agreeing and disagreeing with the notion to certain degrees. My statement is simply to put forward some of the psychology that could potentially be at play here. That said, the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs have published a list of predatory cats that they know to have escaped in the United Kingdom over time. Although most of these have been recaptured, it is worth noting that most is not all of them at all. It is no secret that these creatures avoid human interaction in their natural habitat. It is also not unheard of for them to be sneaky and secretive in their lives. Then again, you would think with all these people looking for these animals, they would stumble across at least some form of evidence of their existence. There have been several instances where the sightings have been captured on camera, although it is worth noting that much like the images of Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, these images are always taken from very far away and are almost always blurry or highly pixelated. In Denham, a photograph was taken of what looked to be a black leopard sitting on a mound of grass. I have seen this picture and it does look compelling, although the problems remain that the camera of the phone had zoomed in over 400 meters, leaving the final product with a large amount of blur hidden behind large pixels. 
The second issue of this picture is that it does seem to have white fur on its chest, a trait known amongst domestic house cats and not amongst panthers. Even so, believers have hit back on this, suggesting that if the image is considered too blurry for much else, it is surely too blurry to rule out that this panther wasn't chewing on a bone of sorts. This argument is not a strong rebuttal, but a rebuttal nevertheless. And this back and forth in beliefs and explanations is very common amongst conspiracy theorists and other certain groups around the world, with many ABC enthusiasts believing the government is in fact covering up the signs of roadkill and playing down cited reports in an attempt to avoid panic amongst the general public. It seems there is a wide variety of confusion about the legitimacy of some of the findings in regards to the big cats roaming the countryside of the United Kingdom, with conflicting reports, hoaxes and misinformation blending in with real-life accounts. In 2011, it was announced by the Centre of Fortean Zoology that through DNA testing carried out by Durham University, they had proven that hairs found in North Devon proved that a leopard was in fact living in the area. Although the cryptozoologists were hindered again by the skeptics with their findings in 2012, they announced that DNA testing on two deer carcasses found in Gloucestershire found only fox DNA, despite many of the locals reporting sightings of a big cat. Whatever your position on the subject of Britain's big cat population, the subject doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It grows quieter for some time, only to appear once more amongst our culture awaking the excitable fear in those that believe, much like the creatures are said to do in our very real world. The sightings of these beasts living among us are so widespread and so ingrained in our society that to list them all here would take hours, leaving those of you who believe to continue that belief and leaving those of you who do not to continue the skepticism. My agenda of these podcasts are never to change your mind or to tell you what to think. I merely break down the facts, interjecting my thoughts if I feel it is relevant to the subject at hand. With that... I will now list some key moments throughout the past 70 odd years that connect to our wild feline friends. It is said that the interest in big cats had begun in the latter half of the 1950s, with news stories spreading of the fen tiger. In 1964, a bullock at Bushelis farm was found severely lacerated. The culprits of this attack would be dubbed the Surrey Puma by the press that swarmed it. A plaster cast was eventually taken of the paw print measuring 5 inches across and was given to the police, who already had an active file on big cats in the area. When the file was closed in 1967, the logbook had listed 362 sightings of alien big cats occurring between the September of 1964 and the August of 1966, although no creature was ever found. In 1968, a farmer claimed to have shot a puma, but he could provide no evidence to prove this. In 1975, an eight-year-old boy was allegedly playing alone in the woodland of Chiddingford. This woodland reportedly backed onto a field where he claimed to see a golden-coloured big cat entering the trees. The cat stayed close to the edge of the field and turned its head to look at the boy, although it was disinterested in him, and continued. When the boy was later asked if it could have been a big dog, he replied, no, because it had a long curved tail, a wide head, and it picked its feet up like a cat, but it was the same size as a big dog. 
1988, the Ministry of Agriculture went as far as to send in Royal Marines to carry out a search for the rumoured Beast of Exmoor after a notable increase in the number of mysteriously killed livestock. During this time, several Marines claimed to have seen the large cat in fleeting moments, but nothing more than a fox would ever be officially found. In 1991, a Eurasian lynx was shot in Norwich in Norfolk. It had killed around 15 sheep within a fortnight. This story was widely understood to be nothing but an urban legend, being reported on much later in 2003. Although, in a surprise to most, and in a move that reinforced many beliefs, a police report in 2006 actually confirmed that the case was in fact true. In 1992, interest in big cats had begun to grow, with headline stories of the Beast of Bodmin, the Beast of Bukhan, and the Beast of Dartmoor becoming urban legends amongst specific areas across the island. In 1995, the Surrey Advertiser newspaper reported a sighting recorded by police officer Steve Ashcroft. In 2003, now-detective constable Stephen Ashcroft appeared again after witnessing either a similar or the same animal. In 2004, locals in the area had reported to have seen a big cat, relying on the big cat survey by the British Big Cats organization. In 2005, Harry Fowler, visiting with his partner, sent their video camera footage of a feline to a local newspaper where they were reproduced in stills. It was described as gingery brown in color and about the size of an Alsatian dog, but that it was definitely not a fox. Surrey Wildlife Trust ranger Mark Havler believed it was in fact an Iberian lynx, later receiving 15 calls of sightings in the two weeks that followed. Also in 2005, a man who lived in Sydenham Park of South East London was attacked in his back garden which backed onto a railway line. The man described the cat as being a big black figure that pounced on him with considerable strength. He was left with scratches all over his body. In 2008, it was reported that a 74-year-old woman was attacked on two separate occasions by a large cat in the Scottish Highlands, leaving her with injuries. A Scottish wildcat expert would later conclude that it was most likely a large, feral, domestic cat living wild, possibly even a hybrid with a Scottish wildcat, but ruled out that a Scottish wildcat itself was responsible for the attacks. In 2012, several sightings of a lion were reported in Essex. Police searched the area using helicopters and infrared cameras, instructing residents to stay in their homes. The next day, the search was called off with no evidence found, with one local resident claiming that a photo of the alleged animal was actually a picture of his pet, a large Maine Coon. Also in 2012, a woman by the name of Helen Smith claimed that two of her horses were attacked by a large, jet black animal, a muscle machine with claws, teeth and emerald green eyes. The local vet examined the horse with the most wounds upon it and is reported to have concluded that the attack was indeed carried out by a large cat. The lockdowns of 2020 due to the coronavirus opened up the world to animals once again, as was documented in many capacities around the globe. Foxes were seen more freely, hedgehogs roamed more casually, dolphins returned to the waters of Venice and deers began to stroll down quieter streets. Although with this came a growing number of sightings of these large felines that roamed in the outskirts of our countryside for so long. With most people confined to short walks in the country, people across the United Kingdom were seemingly stumbling across these mysterious beasts, and the recorded sightings of them had grown significantly. It does seem strange that in all these recent years of technological innovation, there has never been any real evidence of these cats' existence. No smartphone footage, no bodies or images, no physical or biological trace. 
none at least that are convincing enough for the professionals in the field of big cats. Despite this, the big cat sightings have never slowed down, even spiking during these lockdowns, with a whole new wave of big cat hunters taking up the mantle. Another element of this urban legend that seems to hold itself down as nothing more than another case of modern folklore is the colouring of the beast itself. So often the sightings describe the creature as black, with yellow or green eyes, often alluding to the description of a black panther. This is strange and unlikely of course, due to the fact that leopards, with the melanistic properties to make them fully black, are very rare to be seen even in the more frequently found places of the world. The black-furred leopard, known as the Black Panther, is more often seen in Africa and Asia amongst the leopard families that live there, but even these are few and far in between, with less than 200 known to exist worldwide. The likelihood of several living amongst the British countryside for so long seems almost far-fetched and unrealistic to many in the big cat world. So why do the stories keep emerging of the black cat amongst the countryside of Britain? Perhaps it is an evolution of a hundreds of years old myth that once lived so prominently across the countryside of our little island. For centuries, a spectral black dog was said to emerge from the shadows of the moors, creating fear amongst those that witness it. It has been suggested that the stories of these large, black cats are merely modern continuations of these ancient urban legends, with the supernatural elements of the ghost-like dog disappearing with the modern world, being replaced with a very realistic notion of a cat that has been let loose and is now roaming the countryside like a demon amongst us. The black cat remains a fear-inducing, monstrous creature in the minds of those that picture it skulking in the shadow of the moors. Although, this strange fear associated to the pigmentation of the cat's fur is not limited to the beasts of Britain. Statistics all around the western world strongly indicate that black cats take longer to be adopted than any other coloured cats. There are many theories as to why this may be, with some studies suggesting that it may be simply due to the fact that they are hard to photograph, leading to less attractive listings. More recently, people have begun to speculate if a reason is their difficulty to take selfies with, a reason many newspapers have ran with, although that wouldn't explain why this issue has existed for so long. A strong theory is one that blames superstition and the black cat's connection to the dark forces of the world, holding on to its negative connotations with witchcraft, bad luck and evil, manifesting itself as finding black-haired cats creepy, less friendly and less playful. Although I have focused on all aspects of the big cats found across the United Kingdom, the episode is of course named The Beast of Bodmin Moor. I could have chosen many of the different beastly titles, although the black creature of Bodmin was one that consistently appeared, arguably the godfather of the beasts that live among us. In British folklore, the Beast of Bodmin Moor is a phantom wildcat that lives amongst the countryside of Cornwall in England, with Bodmin Moor becoming a prominent location of sightings after 1978, with occasional reports of mutilated slain livestock being found by their farmers. Generally, scientists reject the notion that a black cat truly ever roamed the moors of Bodmin due to the improbable large numbers necessary to maintain a breeding population, alongside potential food supply in the British climate, all of which together purportedly making survival of the creatures very unlikely. The Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food conducted an official investigation in the year of 1995, led by two investigators by the names of Simon Baker and Charles Wilson. On the 19th of July 1995, the study concluded that there was no verifiable evidence of exotic felines loose in Britain and that the mauled farm animals that had been found there were most likely done so by an indigenous British species. 
Strangely, less than a week after the government report, on 24th of July 1995, a young boy was walking by the River Foy when he discovered a large cat skull measuring about 4 inches long and 7 inches wide. The skull was missing its lower jaw, but possessed three sharp, prominent canines that suggested that it may have been a leopard. Unfortunately for the scientists, the report of this found skull hit mainstream audiences at the same time of the release of their study, completely undermining their conclusions. The skull was sent away to the Natural History Museum in London for verification, where a team of entomologists and zoologists would determine that it was, indeed, a genuine skull from a young male leopard but also found that the skull had not died in Britain and that it had been imported as part of a leopard skin rug. This was due to the clean way in which the skull had been severed from its body, a way commonly used to mount the head on a rug. Inside of the skull, they had also found an egg case laid by a tropical cockroach that could not possibly be found in Britain. With this, the skull also indicated the flesh had been scraped off with a knife and the skull had begun to decompose only after a recent immersion in water. This did not stop the expansion of this legend, nor did it slow down the excitement that came with the belief in the beast of Bodmin Moor. The sightings would continue for years to come, being joined by different beasts in different counties up and down the island. To some, these beasts are paranormal. To others, they are government conspiracies, whilst cryptozoologists and folklorists both claim the beast is their own. It seems the most realistic and plausible explanation for all of this is that these beasts were in fact released in small numbers across the country by several irresponsible owners just before the 1976 Dangerous Wild Animals Act would come into play. A legislation intended to halt the growing trend of large exotic pets by implementing a costly license fee. It seems likely that for a short period of time, some sightings were legitimate, whilst others were reactionary to the hyperbole the excitement had created. Some may have died quickly, others may have been recaptured, whilst others may have remained alive and out in the wilderness for years to come, and although they have most likely now perished, their spirits seem to live on, still being witnessed in the corner of several eyes, a terrifying blur amongst the confused and mistaken witnesses, truly becoming the phantom cats of the moors that they were once deemed to be. Before we finish, one thing that is worth mentioning is that I am naturally a skeptical person. I will not believe in a thing just because I like the idea of its existence. I have made no secret in my lack of faith in a god, a monster, a demon, or a spirit. My fascination stems from the story and the psychology behind each legend's gripping narrative. These phantom felines stalking the moors of Britain are, of course, exciting and engaging to those who live amongst it creating an element of fear and buzz in an otherwise simple, small town on the little island amongst Europe. It seems that these stories are filled with misunderstandings, confused sightings and hopeful ideas, and yet their birth seems to stem from a very realistic, plausible and more probable truth. I say all of this as I want to finish on a story from my own life, one that confused me for a long time. I am fully aware that the most likely explanation for what happened was that I simply misunderstood. I know that I even may be misremembering elements of it, but the core of this tale had most definitely occurred in 2006. I was walking through the woods of Butler's Cross, a large hill that overlooked the countryside for miles to come in my childhood county of Buckinghamshire. I was walking with one of my then friends as we always did, going for long walks in the woods, by the canals or across the fields. We were following the footpath ahead when, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a large, black figure jump from the trees that reached up from the steep hill to my left. 
It landed on the ground on the footpath for a split second before continuing its leap to the right, heading further down the large hill we were on. I remember speeding sharply towards it, just missing it as it disappeared into the trees, seeing it enough to know it was a cat, but not enough to understand its size. For you see, this seemed far too large to be a normal house cat. If it wasn't for its agility as it leapt down the hill, I would have assumed it was a large black dog, although my mind had instantly registered it as feline. I remember being confused, slightly frightened and excited by the prospect, which suggests to me that I didn't take the threat of it really being a giant cat too seriously, even then fully aware that I most likely witnessed it wrong. That said, I turned to my friend to ask him if he had also seen it. He was staring ahead, far more shaken up than me, and before I could say a word, he spoke, simply asking, Did you just see a panther? Urban Legends is written and produced by Luke Mordew. Research by Victoria Lebrecht, in association with Mordew Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp with additional sounds from storyblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and delve into the mysteries of our previous and future episodes. If that's not enough for you, then join us on Patreon for hidden episodes, extra content and a chance to vote on what legends we cover. If you have the ability to rate and review on your podcast provider, please do. Every positive review helps us climb the ladder to a larger audience. If you cannot, or if you just want to spread the word of the work we do, feel free to recommend the podcast to your friends and family. The more we grow, the more legends we can dissect. To find out more, visit lrmore2.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ULpodcast, on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast, or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast.